to 1 Samuel 30. I'm going to share a verse with you. We're actually going to go through the chapter. But I'm going to share a verse with you that has meant so much to me in my life. Uh, This is our last week in a six-week series called Being Human. For six weeks, we've looked at the life of King David. If you read 1 and 2 Samuel, and I encourage you to continue this journey. This is an extraordinary man. This is a warrior, a poet, a shepherd, and a king. But I think what we've learned is he's the man after God's own heart. And uh, that scripture comes from God himself. That's God's view of David. And I think that's why we're drawn to this man. Uh, I want God to think that of me. Bob is a man after God's own heart. I think Martha and Lisa and John and Steve, everybody wants to be the man after God's own heart. So I look at David and I think, God, I, I don't think I can ever be like David. But I want to have David's heart. I want to have his bold and courageous heart where he can go to battle and slay giants. Uh, I want to be able to sit down and write out my thoughts to you. There's, there's just so much in this man's life. I want a courageous, bold, generous, contrite heart like David. But what we're discovering, and I hope this is what we take away from the series, is that we don't study David to be like David, right? You know, we had that commercial, we want to be like Mike, Michael Jordan. We don't want to be like David We want to be like David's Lord. We want David to take us to Jesus because Jesus is the one that fulfills us. But at the end of our life, we want to be like David, where in the book of Acts it says, David served God in his generation, and then he fell asleep. Now that's going to happen to us all, and so that's our goal. If David teaches us anything about life, he teaches us what it's like to be a human being. I shared a couple of weeks ago, he understood the thrill of victory, right? He slays Goliath. He leads Israel. He's successful in almost every battle. And he knew the agony of defeat. He knew the wilderness. He knew what it was like to be chased by Saul, to be discouraged. He knew what it was like to sin with Bathsheba and murder Uriah. If you read the book of Psalms, this wide range of emotions is tied up in this one extraordinary life. And I want to end the series. You're going to think it's not a high note, but it is by looking at David's discouragement. Studio audience, you've never been discouraged, right? No one, right? Yeah, we're all Christians, right? We all have the joy of peace of God and the peace that passes all understanding. We would never be discouraged, right? But we're going to learn in David's life that to be human is to walk with God. And to walk with God means not only are there going to be times of discouragement, fasten your seatbelt, there's going to be seasons of discouragement. We have 20-year-olds in the room. We have 60-year-olds in the room. Uh, If you span the generations, you've been discouraged. We've all been there. You might be discouraged today. Uh, And David's going to tell us how to walk through discouragement. And I asked you to open in your Bibles to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. And I want to read beginning at verse 1. It said, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag... On the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. They had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. Listen to this phrase, until they had no more power to weep. Talk about the stress. 
And David's two wives, Ahinam, a Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, have been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. Here's why. Not only did he lose everything, the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. And here's the verse. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And we've all had bad days, right? We've never had these days. I mean, think about this. David is surrounded by 400 mighty men. They're warriors. They built this community. They go out to battle. They come back and everything's gone. And when you lead people, I think people can take a lot, right? They can take a lot. They can take defeat. They can take a lot of things. But when it affects their personal life, when your children and your wives are gone, you've got problems. And leaders, right, people are mad at them a lot. But every man wants to stone David. That's a bad day. And David is discouraged. He begins to weep. The men begin to weep. Let me give you a little backstory on Ziklag. As you know, David is the rightful king, but because of Saul's jealousy, he's been running for years, almost 10 years. God gives him this close-knit community of 600, starts out with 400, then 600 men. And um, David begins to thrive. But here's what you have to understand. No one would ever choose Ziklag, just like no one would ever choose the wilderness. It's a place we're driven to. Jesus, driven into the wilderness. Moses, the backside of the desert. And this is David's experience, right? This isn't what David longed for. David was a man, think about it, who had it all. Everything we're looking for in life. Uh, Career, he goes from a shepherd boy to a court musician to the king of Israel. That brings wealth and fame, right? We all know the song. What's the song, guys? Yeah, David has slain his 10,000, Saul his thousands. He's greater than the standing king of Israel. And little by little, through no fault of his own, he loses it all. He loses his fame and his throne. He even loses his, his wife and his family, all because of a jealous king. And yet God gives him this tight-knit community at Ziglag, this refugee community. First uh, Samuel 22, I always chuckle when I read this. These are the men that God gave. This is his congregation to David. Every man who was in distress, every stressed out guy around, every broke guy, every man in debt, and every dissatisfied person. Sounds like a Calvary Chapel, doesn't it? <laughs> right? How's it like to lead that congregation? And yet these people come together. It's like church, guys. Paul said, not many wise, you know, not many noble. God takes the, the off-scouring of the world and he builds community. And this community begins to flourish. They marry, they have children, and they go out on raiding parties, and they come back. And David, for the first time in a long time, is living in community. Uh, I don't know if you guys know it out there. I'll be sharing about this a little later. But uh, in a few weeks, Innovate Academy is going to open its doors, hold on to your seat, to 130 students. Yeah. So when we opened our school, we prayed for 30 students. God gave that to us. Then we prayed for 60, but God gave us 72. Uh, This year we prayed for 90, but we weren't sure with COVID-19 if we would even be a school. And we're going to have 130 students in this building being discipled, learning about God, learning about 
uh, culture and life. It's going to be beautiful. So we had a staff meeting right here on this table, our first staff meeting of all Innovate staff and Calvary staff, and we had these like cross introductions. And so our Calvary staff, as we were introducing ourselves, we were explaining who we were, our favorite coffee and things like that. And when it came to Pastor Shem, who leads worship here and does so many other things, Shem said that he loves to fix broken things. You all remember that? And if you know anything about Pastor Shem, he fixes a lot of equipment around here, and it's a diversion for him, and he loves it. And when he said that, I thought, isn't that really the heart of God? He fixes broken things. There's a song that Gunger, the band, has written and performed, and we sing it here. It says, you make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. And I think of David's refugee community, how God made beautiful things, and it began to flourish. And then one day, and remember, they're coming home from a battle of victory. They come to Ziklag, and everything's gone. Everything they know of is gone. Can you imagine that? People have actually experienced this. Most of us in this room, most of us in America have never experienced it. But they come back. David looks around. Everything's burnt. Everyone's gone. The guys want to stone him, and David's discouraged. What do we do when we get discouraged? What do we do when we get to this place? Well, I think David gives us the cure. He doesn't give us cures, plural. He gives us one cure. Verse 6b in 1 Samuel 30, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That's what we're going to talk about. How, how do we strengthen ourselves in God? This isn't some obscure verse in the New Testament. This isn't theology. This is a real man, a real story. This really happened. Before I get to that, I want to talk about the causes of discouragement. Real quick, sometimes you have to ask the great questions. Why do we get discouraged? I think one of the reasons we get discouraged is, particularly in America, is we have unrealistic expectations of the way life should go. <laughs> um, The American dream, right? So I was watching a documentary recently, and uh, if you read anything about uh, World War I in this nation, it was a way different America. There were actually slums in Brooklyn, slums in New York. There were, you know, immigrants coming from all different cultures, standing in food lines, and they paved the way for what we call the American dream, the land of opportunity. The Constitution that gives us the right to freedom and liberty. And listen, the pursuit of happiness. No one owes you happiness. You can pursue it. But today we think it's almost granted that from cradle to the grave that all the good things are going to come to us. Christians can fall into this trap, right? Because now we overlay Jesus onto this and we get the abundant life. Jesus said with food and shelter, we should be should content. Paul said he abounded, he abased, he had a learned contentment. And Peter said trials are going to come upon us, even as believers. As I read the Bible, I've learned contentment is the key to life. Um, and so my expectations are much lower. And if God does great things by his grace, that's wonderful. I think a second uh, reason for discouragement is poor decisions. Anybody ever make a poor decision? Right? Yeah. David did. 
made a poor decision with Bathsheba. He numbered the people. That was a poor decision. Uh, David made poor decisions with Absalom, with his family, the wives that he married. We can go on and on. But here's another cause of discouragement. We have no idea what God's up to. No idea. See, we think this is where we should be, and God has other ideas. We kind of get discouraged because we think God forgot us. He doesn't remember us. His promises aren't true. Uh, we love to quote Romans 8, that God's working behind the scenes. He's working all things for good. Sometimes that good is a different direction. Because we measure everything in happiness, God measures everything in holiness. And when we get to the end of our days, when we get to the finish line, there will be things that were necessary for us. We just didn't understand it. The cure for discouragement is we have to strengthen ourselves in God. I'm going to share with you a principle that I learned 15 years ago that changed my Christian life and my leadership life. So I was at a conference and a pastor went to the board like this and he drew a circle. And he said, most of you here are church leaders. You lead maybe a children's ministry, a youth ministry. Maybe you lead a large congregation, small congregation. But everybody here is leading something. And he said, reflexively, when we talk about leadership, people always think about leading down. People that I'm entrusted to. I have to cast vision to them. I have to pay them sometimes. I have to inspire them. I have to treat them well. Because after all, I'm the leader and they're the doers. And that's true. He said, but most leaders forget, most people forget, and this might be the most difficult thing, is we have to lead laterally. Uh, there are colleagues and friends and people in our orbit who we don't pay, and our title means nothing to, but we still have to get along with them in an organization, a church, whatever you lead. Uh, this is a skill that will serve you well. He talked about leading up. Because to do what you need to do, there's people above you who have resources and they allot your time, etc., etc. And that is a tremendous skill. Nehemiah had this skill. He went to a pagan king and got what he needed to go back and rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. But here's what floored me and here's the learning. This pastor said that his learning after years in ministry was that the leader's most important Goal, a Christian's most important task is to lead yourself. And then he double floored me when he said this was 50% of my time. 50% of my time is leading me. Anybody know why 50% of my time is leading me? Yeah, so, so, so there's a great quote, right? There's a great quote. Why do so many people want to change the world? Because it's easier to change the world than to change yourself. Yeah. Why else is imp important to lead ourselves? Anybody else? Adler? I think when we look uh, at, like, the alignment and being pursuing that holiness, being right before God... Yeah. Um, if there's something out of alignment, out of whack, 
you're probably just going to pass that on to someone else. Exactly. So um, you're going to leave a wake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to make sure that that is all taken care of. Right. So, so then he went on to say this: You are the most difficult person you will ever lead. You are the most difficult person you will ever lead. Uh, if you read John Maxwell and other leadership books, people will talk about this. Daniel Goleman says, exceptional leaders distinguish themselves because they are superior at what we call self-leadership. Yeah. Uh, David was a master of this. He really was. Uh, David didn't sulk. He didn't blame the other men. David didn't do any of those things. He strengthened himself in God. So my, Mike, my son Mike preached for the last couple of weeks, and I think every time Mike preaches, and even when he sits around, he quotes G.K. Chesterton. So I want you all to know that I was reading G.K. Chesterton before Mike was born. So I'll give you my G.K. Chesterton quote. He, and remember, he wrote this in the early 20th century. He said, I regret that I cannot perform the task of the typical modern of cursing everything that made me what I am today. I'm not very sure what I am, but I do know most of it is my fault. <laughs> That's a great quote. And so... I go home from that conference and I realized that day that there was a lot of work to do in my inner world. That I couldn't control all the things around me, but I could control my walk with God, my prayer life, the way I approach things. So I look at David here and I almost want to draw out three things David did to strengthen himself in God. I think this will help you tremendously. It has helped me. The first one... Uh, Again, you need to read the book of Psalms to, to kind of grab on this. But David named his discouragement and he discussed it with God. Now, I think my reflex reaction is to discuss my discouragement with other people. I'll be honest with you. So there's a good friend of mine and we're golf buddies. And man, for years we would sit in a golf court for hours and I would listen to all that he was going through in business. Just tremendous things that I didn't know how a human being could handle. Then years later, he was listening to all my problems in ministry, which you wondered how any human being could handle. And what I began to find is that I started to run out of people to share my concerns with. And so I began to talk to colleagues around the country. And then that group dries up. And you come to a place and a time where you realize that only God understands and only God knows. Uh, David exemplifies this in Psalm 142. He said, I cried out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I made my request. I pour out my complaint before him. This is a psalm of lament. I declare to him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed, he knew my path, the way in which I walked, the snares they have set for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there's no one that acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. David 
was able to name his discouragement, and he took it to God. Now, please don't misunderstand. The beauty of church, the beauty of community and accountability groups is we need each other. Uh, I try and live by this axiom that we all have a backpack of problems, right? Everybody sitting here, if we really got into their life, is dealing with a situation they never asked for or will be. So whenever we come to church or community, we all have this backpack on. But I don't think God has called us to, to slow things down, to constantly get into all these things. Now, if somebody has two backpacks, we need to stop and slow down and have a conversation. But at the end of the day, God is our refuge. God is the one who knows. How do we do this with God? Well, for David, it was journaling. Now, he didn't have these hipster journals we have today with a little cord and all that. But we know he had a journal because we read the Psalms. He wrote it somewhere. I picture David sitting around the fire in caves, crying out to God, chronicling, writing it down. Uh, Some people go out and chop wood. I'm serious. I've talked to people. They chop wood. Some people hit a heavy bag. Uh, My wife has a tea room. Never seen anybody drink tea in there. It's really small. And she's in there 5.30 in the morning wrestling with God. Some people walk. Some people have a war room. Everybody has a different way to cry out to God that he might understand. The valley of discouragement is a place where if we're not careful, we'll begin to wonder if God is involved, if his promises are true. David grew in his wilderness experience. He really did. He grew because God was all he had. I think it was Tim Keller said, God will never be all you need until he's all you have. And we get to these places. David prayed, he fasted, he worshiped, he danced. David cried out to God. David had this walk with God that was unique for me or Steve or Adler or Donna or anybody in this room, anybody watching. Guys, we have to learn to delight ourselves in God. Adler. So as, as you've been um, teaching on this, I'm, I've been reflecting and kind of convicted about how I tend to be reflective. And yeah. for, for some people, it can be a very positive thing. But for yeah. me, I become, I become the nitpicker or yeah. the sulker. Right. And uh, recently, my wife and I have been going through a study about the Holy Spirit and reading a, a lot of things. Um, and I began to reflect on my story, reflecting on the backpack and I've seen this pattern where I continue to come before God saying, oh, I want to, I want to do this thing for you. I have these ambitions, even like uh, Mike was talking about. And yet, it's like I reset to the very beginning of the gospel, which is, joke's on you, Adler. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. So why are you trying to? Yeah. And I think the, the biggest testament of what the Lord has done over the last few years is to see how that time where I realized that becomes shorter and shorter. Yeah. And, um, you know, that reset in like verse six that you're talking about, where he strengthened himself in the Lord. Man, it's so much greater to be discouraged for a short period of time and immediately come back before the yeah. Lord. Because all it does then is allow us to be free and to rejoice in the greatness and the magnitude of God. That's really good. And, um, yeah. So I had kind of one of those resets last night with my wife. 
And it, it's just humbling to, re, to be reminded over and over and over again. It's the most simplest thing that he's there. You know, I don't know if this fits, but you talked about how it, it gets shorter. I was watching a movie, and uh, this couple uh, were discussing a situation they were in, and, and a guy was forgiving somebody who the wife thought, how in the world could you forgive them? And he said, well, if I forgive them, it's a one-time thing. But to be mad at them is a lifelong, everyday process. And I thought, oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I heard uh, another speaker say, you know, hating someone or resenting someone is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Yeah. And just that caustic uh, yeah. feeling. And, you know, I, I think, like you mentioned, all those reasons for discouragement early on in my walk with the Lord was like more of a moral failing thing. Being yeah. so resentful of the fact that I was still in process. And now it seems to be like, oh, the Lord is doing such awesome things, and I want to push it forward, push it forward, and remembering it's not ultimately my job to see the success of it. It's really God's, good. God's going to do what he's going to do yeah. with it. That's good. Which, by the way, leads into the second thing. David took action. Adler, this, this is the important thing. Because some people can get into navel-gazing. Uh, like, in other words, I have to get into my inner world, uh, obviously. I have to be with God. But I don't know anybody in the Bible who's ever stayed there. Abraham was told and go, you know, build a nation. Moses, deliver these people. Build a temple. Jesus, go into all the world. So watch what happens here. So um, verse 7 says, Then David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And he brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, listen to this, recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and then they came to the brook Besor, where those who stayed and those who were left behind. Um, sooner or later, we have to act. First pastor I ever had, many moons ago. People say, oh, nobody remembers a sermon three hours after. Listen, I still remember one of the first things I ever heard. He said, in the Christian life, you either letting things happen or you are making things happen. You are either letting things happen or you're making things happen. Uh, there's some people who go through their whole ex Christian experience in what I call chronic discouragement or, you know, kind of a hopelessness because, listen, they're waiting for someone to rescue them. And like I said, we all need help, but there is a God who rescues, but there's a God who asks us to act. God tells David to go. David goes. Now, at the Brook Bessor, God has a surprise. And we've all seen this in life. It, I marvel at this. In verse 10, David pursued. He and 400 men, 200 stayed behind because they were weary. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate and they gave him water to drink. They gave him a piece of cake and figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread or he had drunk no water for three days and three nights. David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. So they weren't going to bring this guy along. They left him to die. 
We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. Everybody know where this is going? They stumble on an Egyptian who, by the way, they should have never stopped. They should have just ran by the guy and ran him over. But they stop and they give the guy bread and water. And David says, man, where are you from? Who left you out here? Oh, you know, we were on a raiding party and came to Ziklag and took everybody captive. And David's like, uh-oh, God's on the move. See what happens when you get up and go? See what happens when you venture out? God puts things in your path. I've seen this a thousand times. Unseen things that you would have never, never thought about. Moses, the burning bush. The miracle's not the burning bush. The miracle's that Moses ever pursued it. The miracle's not the Egyptian half dead. It's that David ever ministered to him. Mike. Yeah, so I remember um, back at Passion City Conference in Georgia in 2012, Louis Giglio stood up in front of everyone and said, can we just take the God's will for my life balloon and just pop it? He's like, far too often we're sitting on our couches just waiting. What's God's will? What's God's will? And God's like, go. I'm going to work in you, but yeah. you've got to go. Like there needs to be action, just like you're saying. Yeah, that's really good. David ministered to this guy. And, and remember we talked about the God of the Old Testament. People are so caught up in the God of war, etc. David understood God's grace. David understood the scriptures about how when they were in the land of Egypt, they were the stranger, they were the oppressed. And they stopped everything to minister to this Egyptian. In Psalm 36, this is the message translation. Uh, the writer says, God's love is meteoric. His love, astronomic. His purpose, titanic. His verdicts, oceanic. Yet in his largeness, nothing gets lost. Not a man, not a mouse. Nothing slips through the cracks. Not even a half-dead Egyptian. And, boy, this lifts your discouragement, right? Jesus said two sparrows can't fall to the ground without your father's concern. How much more does he love us? How much more are we worth than sparrows? Uh, when I was in high school and I went to a prep school for a year, I had to choose a college and I had several scholarships to universities and uh, was very discouraged because a few of the places I wanted to go I didn't get into and um, you know again you wrestle and you wonder why and you work so hard etc cetera, etc cetera. and then the college I did choose I wound up playing almost every minute for four years became an all-american met my wife and got saved so when I talk about how God's direction is interesting and the people that you meet and the things that pop up we've seen it you know so much at Calvary Chapel so many surprises, so many people like the Egyptian man, and I'm sure everybody has a story. So, um, you know, David acted. And then finally, you know, I think if you're going to strengthen yourself in God, and if you're really going to see yourself lifted from discouragement, you must always be gracious and always be generous. You know, the reflex action is, well, nothing's working out for me, so why would I help anybody else? I'm not going to read you the set of verses, but um, David takes a spoil, and he comes back to where the 200 weary men were. 
And they're all excited. David, you're victorious. You brought us a spoil. But the guys that were with David said, well, we're not giving those guys anything. They're a bunch of leeches and louses. Why would we give them everything? And David says, no, nah, that's not how it works around here. And he gives them a spoil. And the Bible says, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us. Why in the world will we ever hold it back from them? And the Bible says, David recovered all, all, everything. This really happened. It's a real story. Do we really recover all in this life? Probably not. Sometimes we do. Uh, I love that verse where it says, God will restore what the canker worm has eaten. Uh, Steve's here. And uh, I think of Steve's story when I think of broken things and I think of God's grace. Uh, I knew Steve only as a security guy. I would walk downstairs to Journey Kids and I see Steve there. He's there every Sunday. He was faithful. This past week, his brother got into the pool and was baptized. And I had a flashback to the first time I had a conversation with Steve. We were at a wedding, I married a couple, and Steve was at my table. And I said, Steve, I'm so glad you're here. Never had a chance to talk to you. Tell me your story. He goes, Bob, I was a heroin addict. I said, oh my goodness. And he went into detail and I said, well, when you were doing heroin, didn't you think that one day you could die? And he said, Bob, I was mad when I woke up. True story. Right, Steve? True story. Um. I actually OD'd a few times, and when I woke up, I was more angry that I was still alive. Yeah. And I just listened to Steve's story, and I love people's stories, and, 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 and now he's on our staff, and his brother gets baptized, and I'm like, God is gracious. He restores. Now, will everything be restored? I don't think this side of heaven it will. I think until we walk in the portals of glory, uh, there will not be a full restoration. I want to close with this. And I think it's the final piece of the story. Ziklag, though David was restored, was God's second best. It was only God's second best. You're like, Pastor Bob, this is a wonderful story. What are you talking about? When David had that oil pouring down him when he was anointed by Samuel, Ziklag was not on his mind. Ziklag is Philistine territory. The king of Gath gave it to him. What was on his mind was Jerusalem, a temple, a house for God, the nation. If we're not careful in life, we can be tempted to settle for second best. I see it all the time. We settle for second best when we choose spouses, careers, ministry endeavors. We think, okay, God's not going to deliver, but this kind of looks like it might work. Be careful of second best. And I know how it works. Oh, I didn't hear clear from God. Or, you know, maybe I ate bad pizza one night when God promised this to me. And we settle. And when we settle, we miss God's best. Ten and a half years ago, we opened the doors to this facility, 24 acres and 80,000 square feet of building. And I remember driving to church that day. And I passed several other places that we tried to buy or rent, and when it didn't work out, we were discouraged. 
And when I drove by those places, it was almost like God said, see, see, told you so, told you so. I looked at all these other places that would have been cool, that we could have done ministry, but it was all second best. Ziklag wasn't God's plan for David, and it's not God's plan for you. He has something better. Hold out for his best. Now, remember the leadership I t- talk I talked to you about? I'm going to leave you no content. I'm going to leave you with the questions that was asked of me that day, and I'm going to leave it with you, and then we'll be done. The pastor who gave this talk said, when you're leading yourself, you need to constantly answer these questions. Number one is my calling sure. Not your assignment is your calling sure. Number two is my vision clear. What happens when people don't have vision? They perish. They go through the motions. Is my passion hot? Who's the only one that can stir passion in you? You. You. Yes, leaders need to instill passion, and there's things we can do and things we can listen to, but at the end of the day, passion is your responsibility. Is my Christian character submitted to Christ? Is my pride subdued? Are my fears at bay? Are my ears open to the Spirit's whisper? Or am I just too busy to hear God? Are my gifts developing? Whose job is that? We do wonderful training at Calvary. We take our staff away. We do in-staff training. We train the congregation. We do Calvary Campus. But at the end of the day, this is your job. Is my heart for God increasing? And is my capacity for love deepening? I wish I could go into content. It's not our purpose today. But our purpose today is that we're all going to get discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged today. Maybe out in TV land you're discouraged. There is a God who longs to come aside and rebuild and restore. And there's going to be days where he's the only one who understands. Uh, I've been married for 36 years. And I'll never understand my wife. I don't think you can ever fully understand a human being. But there is a God who understands. Just a few minutes, we'll take some questions from the studio audience out there. Guys, any reflections, any final thoughts? Maybe some people we haven't heard from? Samantha? Uh, after listening to what you're talking about, what I'm really clear on is we really can't do any of these things and understand how we are to live, like as David is our example, unless we truly know the character of God. Because as a human being, when circumstances come our way, we're going to get discouraged. I mean, that's just the yeah. way human beings are. However, if you grow in your walk with the Lord and you've experienced him personally and you've experienced him changing situations and you growing in those situations, that's truly the only way you can be content in all things. That's yeah. the only way. 
So my thought and my encouragement today for myself and for others is to take that time alone with him, to get to know this God who knows every hair on your head and is counted. And, and think about this, and I think, I think this is the hardest part for young people, and we have a significant amount among young people and staff, is sometimes we look at things that are ready-made, right? So you walk into something that's ready-made, but you had no wilderness, Right? So, you know, when you saw Moses leading these group of people and the Red Sea parting, you're like, yeah, I'll sign up for that. But would you have signed up for 40 years on the backside of the desert? Paul in Arabia. And I, I, think, I think what you're saying is, yeah, there has to be those times. There has to be failure. There has to be times with God. Or there's nothing to draw on. Yeah. If David went right to the palace, he doesn't make it through this. It's really good. Taylor. So, yeah, going off of that, too, just like as a younger person, I feel like when you guys were talking, faithfulness comes to my head. Could you just talk about how, like, how to even um, foster that, cultivate faithfulness? Because as a 20-something, the fact that you work in a job for two years is, like, way too long. Like, you hop around and do all yeah. these things. And I think getting discouraged, as soon as you get discouraged, you want to leave and quit. Yeah. And Whatever it is. So can you talk about what yeah, that Yeah, so like? my wife's dad had a saying, and I use it all the time now. It's the coolest thing in the world. It would mean nothing to anybody outside of Pennsylvania. But there were days when Monica's father driving home said everything in him wanted to go Harrisburg and West. Does everybody know what that means? Yeah, Harrisburg and West is the other direction of going home. So, yeah, you know how many times I'm in the car and I want to go Harrisburg and West? You know, <laughs> I mean, a dad, a father, a pastor. Uh, yeah, Taylor, the culture's brutal. Uh, it used to be five years. Now it's two years. She's right. People want to jump ship. And it, 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 it's that old thing. And, and here's what... And, and listen, some people jump ship for... Money and there, there's other reasons, climbing the ladder in the corporate world, things like that. I think, I think loyalty, so loyalty is a funny word, right? Because loyalty is a wonderful trait. Um, I don't think we make decisions out of loyalty. I think we make decisions out of calling. Am I loyal to the calling? Like, you know, just because things got hard doesn't mean I jump ship because the learning is probably ahead of me. This, what I'm learning here is going to help me later, whether it's here or somewhere else. So, gosh, I was discouraged when I worked for the Boeing company. Um, but I, you know, I wanted to be in ministry, but, but God had me there 12 years, which I thought was way too long. And then he finally told me, no, you were there so you could see how regular people live life before you go in the ministry. That's not for everybody. That was for me. So there were things I was learning there that helped me later. But that's a wonderful point. Wonderful point. Lisa? Yeah, so there are just so many things that um, you've said that have uh, hit me on so many different levels and really resonate. Um, I think, you know, the, the repeating pattern or the recurring uh, message that I'm getting, though, is that no matter 
how good of a friend a person may be, no matter how good our family members are, that there come situations and times in our lives that the only place that we can encourage ourselves is in the Lord. And when we look at, I think it was uh, 1 Samuel 23, even when Jonathan came to David, he told, he strengthened him or told him to strengthen himself in the yeah. Lord. And I think about even my friends, Jill Swavely is a wonderful friend. And when I was very discouraged at last week, um, <laughs> she basically said, listen, I'm coming to, to tell you, yeah. to strengthen you, to tell you, to encourage yourself yeah. in the Lord because there lies our answer. Yeah. And, um, you know, we can do what we can. And that's the obedience, the action. And, you know, God says that with a little strength you have, go. And that's faith also embodied that, Absolutely. you know what? We don't see the ends, but we yeah. can do what we can. But he will do it. We can't. Jonathan's are important. I mean, look, David had Samuel as a mentor, right? That's all important, these 600, 400 guys. But remember I said my community shrunk? It's because, you know, everybody needs a sounding board. The problem was my sounding board was in church. So after a while, they heard too much of me. They had become friends with people in church, so I would lose that sounding board. And then sooner or later, I ran out of everybody. And then I needed colleagues around the country, and then that dried up. Like, there are just some... And, and sometimes we want sympathy. We want pity, right? <laughs> Mike? Um, so I also think, to tag team off of Lisa there, that there's also a, a side of it where we get discouraged... And sometimes the people around us, you know, it really comes down to being with God. And I think that a lot of that discouragement also comes from us forgetting what God has already done. I was going to say the rear view mirror. Yeah. The and the hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. But for some reason, and you even see this in the Bible throughout the, the, the entire books of the Old Testament with the Jews, they continually forgot what God had done and had to be continually reminded. I think it's just the human condition. Yeah. And, and, and again, these little surprises like the Egyptian. So... I remember, gosh, I don't know, it was a year or two years ago, we went to a conference in New York, and the whole purpose of going to the conference is we had, uh, you know, a lot of new people in their 20s on staff, and I wanted to take them to New York. It's kind of cool, and there were some really neat speakers, and, you know, I was going through a little bit of discouragement because as a church of 27 years, you know, we had people cycling out or people mad at us, and I was trying to figure all this out, and I'll never forget Everything about the conference was great. And Tim Keller got up and said one phrase that I stand on today. He said, the gospel will reproduce. <laughs> and it was like, like lightning bolts came down from heaven. And basically what he was saying is, look, you're all going through something, but don't stress over it because the gospel by its nature reproduces. And I went home, and that's all I needed, and that sustained me till now. So, yeah. Adler? I kind of wanted to bounce off that and something Sam and Lisa was also saying about, you know, how do we find this discernment of what the Lord is doing? And going even back to the Giglio quote of, like, just go. I think the something that I've been encouraged and reminded of during this time is the peace that we have knowing what God has commanded us to do to seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly before him, to take care of orphans and widows. Those clear things can, I think, sustain from the, if we know the calling, where we're going, even if we might not know if this next step is quite right or, you know, um, whatever, kind of being one of the 20-year-olds 
in the, in the room, there's a lot to be learned from people who have walked longer. And as we navigate those details, knowing there are some things that have been pretty clear uh, established in God's word. Yeah, and Taylor, just a, my wheels spun for a minute. You can't run from discouragement. <laughs> It'll follow you because <laughs> it's a part of life, right? So, so it's always going to be in our path. Um, it, it's how do we navigate it? I mean, I mean, guys, think about it. Like having kids, right? So, you know, I see this. Uh, like when I go to the hospital, you know, baby's born with a hole in its heart. Baby has this. Baby. So when I go to visit the couple, first I make sure everything's going to be all right. And I said, guys, you just had like a 401 course in parenting, right? Like in day one. Because all you knew before this was babies are us and showers and let's decorate the room. Now you understand what you just signed up for. And I can speak from experience. Sometimes older kids are harder than younger kids. So, yeah, it, you can't run from it. You got to walk through it. Donna? Yeah. Um, I was thinking of a few things. One thing, in our household, one of the phrases that we say a lot is the story's not over yet. Yeah. And we have a lot of stories that are in process in our home. Yeah. Um, but also, when I was a young kid, and actually something, um, having tendencies towards depression, that one of the things that I learned is just praise and gratitude yeah. has a way of just bringing you out of discouragement. Yep. And just like Samantha was saying, just remembering the character of God and just who he is and just letting that kind of be where you run to, even when you don't understand what's going on around you, that you remember his heart and his character. Yeah, I think one time, you know, I had Zach Koshio on stage and Zach blows my mind because he lost his job and the first thing he did is he took everybody out to dinner and he wrote checks to ministries. And, and then you see people in chronic discouragement and they're always telling you there are problems, but they're not generous, they're not praiseworthy, and, and that's that whole rescue thing we talked about, woe is me. Um, we got to break out of that. Um, and it's not easy, and it's hard, and it's part of leading yourself, but it's a great point. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks, everybody here. You've been a great studio audience. <laughs> <laughs>